Literally, how? That is what I ask myself just about every single time I watch the Boston Celtics this season. Literally, how? And I think that question is rather justified. Let's take a look at some of the results this year. They lose in double overtime in New York to the Knicks on opening night. Alright, New York was a good team. You didn't have Al Horford. That's acceptable. But then they get blown out by Toronto by over 30 in their home opener. And then, oh, it gets it gets really good. A loss in Washington in double OT. Getting outscored by 28 in the fourth quarter against the Bulls. Blowing an 18-point lead to Cleveland. Need I go on? I think I will anyway. You're up by 7 with 3.5 to go against Philly. You lose that. You're up by 13 with 5.5 to go against Milwaukee. You lose that. You lose to the Timberwolves without Edwards, Towns, Russell. They're essentially a G League team. You shoot 4 for 42 from 3 against the Clippers. You miss a layup at the buzzer to try and send it to overtime against the Spurs. And then you blow a 25-point lead to the Knicks the other night and lose on the most insane buzzer beater imaginable by R.J. Barrett. So, and after that, well, I wasn't even mad. I knew it was coming the entire time. Not mad, just disappointed? Yeah. And, you know, the the Celtics are 2-11 and in games decided by five points or less. I think they might be the worst fourth quarter team I have ever seen. Yeah, and I feel like we're kind of seeing a lot of that between the uh, the Celtics and SU. But kind of the huh. worst part about it is they get, like, good wins. It's it's kind of the worst of both worlds because they'll get good wins and that'll get your hopes up. And then they just tank. Like, you know, it, it, they beat the Suns, you know, the Western Division leading – or, the, excuse me, the Western Conference leading Suns, 123-108. Without Jason Tatum, might I add. Sorry? Without Jason Tatum, might I add. Yeah, that's a really good win. I mean, if you just look at the score sheet that I'm pulling up here, you know, Marcus Smart putting up 24, Jalen Brown putting up 24, Josh Richardson putting up 19. Solid all-around performances. But then uh, three days later, they beat the Magic. But then after that, loss to the Spurs and then the loss to the Knicks. And then the Knicks come to town in Boston tonight at 7.30. So could it be a one-two punch for the Knicks? I don't know. I'm uh, thinking. I mean, I've been talking to my roommate. He's a huge, huge Celtics fan. Uh, and he he has all but given up on this season. Yeah, I will in all likelihood be watching football or maybe the Bruins when that game is going on, but, you know. We love the Bruins. Oh, yeah. All right, well, on the show today we've got Needham Mass's finest man, Will Henschel. And we have a packed episode, Week 18 football, the college football playoff championship we begin today and hold your breath i know it's a shocker with tennis because one of the world's most famous players has created an international incident novak Djokovic, who has been the number one player in the world for a few years now is a notorious anti-vaxxer the country of australia requires that foreign travelers come in vaccinated so Djokovic applied for a medical exemption which the state of Victoria approved, which is where the Australian Open is being played. So he thought he was good to go. However, once he got in, the federal government was like, no, 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 no. Get out of here. So he has been in Australia for three, four days now trying to figure out a way to get in. But, well, 
the Australian Open begins Monday, and it could be without one of the biggest stars in the tennis world. Yeah, this is uh, this is about as murky as it gets when you're talking about COVID and superstardom and uh, and just big events. Because I mean, no one's going to disagree with the fact that Novak Djokovic uh, is a ticket seller. People will come. I've got I've wanted to go to the U.S. Open down in Queens for years to see Serena, to see Naomi Osaka, to see Djokovic, and all these other great tennis players. Those are the draws of these tournaments, especially the Grand Slams. Um, and we've seen it in other sports, and I think we're going to continue to see it in other sports. Uh, you know, on one end, everybody wants these superstars to play. They, they are the main draw to these sports, especially for a sport that isn't uh, quite rooted, uh, say, like football or basketball, as tennis. Um, but I think we're going to continue to see things where, obviously, you want the athletes to make your own choices, but at the same time, these venues have the right to turn down people that don't comply with their rules. And that's what we're seeing here. And, you know, unfortunately it just happened to be one of the, the sports biggest stars. Yeah. And that's the thing. It could have happened to anybody. It happened to Kyrie. And when you make that decision not to get the jab and it's your body, your choice, I'm not going to go out here and publicly criticize anyone who doesn't get the shot, but you subject yourself to those rules and to, almost put up a petty cat fight against it. I, I just don't think it's a good look. And then how this affects Djokovic's legacy. I mean, there are, I mean, when you look at Australia, France, and Great Britain, three, three countries who have been extremely pro-vax, unless I'm mistaken. I mean, I can't imagine that the British and French are going to be welcoming him with open arms, especially the British, because they've had a pretty strict lock lockdown since this whole thing broke out. Yeah. I mean, all of Europe has just been so strict. So I can't imagine, you know, if he tries to get to Roland Garros or to Wimbledon, I, I can't imagine it'll be much different. I mean, if it continues, if Omicron continues the way it is, I mean, the only major tournament he could be playing is the U S open come summer. I mean, but you mentioned, this is kind of the, this is where it gets really murky. Cause you mentioned uh, Novak's legacy he's already won 20 grand slams. I think right now the Australian open needs Djokovic way more than Djokovic needs the Australian open under his belt, uh, whether or not they're going to, and I don't even know what their, what their, uh, attendance policy is. I don't even know if they're allowing fans in there. Um, I know already, I know it's Canada, but I know already, you know, the Maple Leafs, you know, you'll, you start to see tarped off seats now because of Omicron. Um, so truthfully, I don't think, I think it's going to get in terms of athletes opting out and, and with the vaccine and all that, I think it's going to get worse before it gets any, any better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing I'll say before we move on about the whole legacy thing is that he has 20 grand slams right now, unless I'm mistaken, he's in a three-way tie with Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal. Everyone loves Federer. I don't think there's any denying that. Everyone, everywhere Roger Federer steps in, he draws a crowd, but he's 40 years old. I'm not sure... He has much time, if any, yet. When you look at Rafael Nadal, who he's also tied with, he's 35 years old. No one has... And Djokovic is 34, so Nadal has probably just as much time as Djokovic has left. And if Djokovic cannot play in these tournaments, then I don't see any reason why Nadal can't sort of find his medal climbing up in the Australian, Wimbledon, and U.S. Open ranks. Especially since... He has dominated the French Open for years, and 
that has led to some questions about his sustainability. But if he can go on and win these hardcore grass tournaments, all bets are off. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally screwing it up, and, and the tennis fans are going to flame me for it. But one of them is really good at clay, and the other is really good at grass, and I'm screwing it up. But I think it's Nadal that's really good at clay. Nadal, so is, Nadal can, is the king of clay, yes. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. The king of clay. Uh, so, I mean, forget forget Melbourne right now. If he can go to Paris and get a clay a clay court win, which he's been doing for the better part of two decades, I mean, that'll, that'll push him ahead. And there's no reason why he couldn't get a W here uh, at Australia. Uh, Maybe not Wimbledon, maybe if his play style doesn't suit that, but uh, if he can get a, if he can get a win on a hard court surface and then go to to Paris for a clay court, he could be seeing two more uh, grand slam wins by the end of 2022. Absolutely. Well, let's move into our one NBA topic. And it's something that I'll preface this by saying, I was at this game in Houston, and I didn't realize what had happened until long after I got back to my buddy's house. So, Christian Wood, the star big man of Houston, star, I put that in parentheses, showed up, I don't know, three quarters of the way through the first quarter, normally starts for Houston, his absence was sort of misguiding, but he comes onto the court and absolutely wets the bed. Then apparently Kevin Porter Jr. got into a shouting match with Rockets assistant coach John Lucas at halftime and left the arena in protest. Both were suspended for the team's next game. What do you make of all this? Uh, I mean, I... It's... And, and this, is, this is coming from somebody, granted. I watched... Biggest, I'm not the biggest sponge for him, um, but what I've seen, what I've heard, uh, if you if you show up midway through the first quarter and floppily, and then that if you are getting into a shouting match with an assistant coach at halftime, that could be about a lot of things. I'd want to read more into that, but if it if it crossed a line, and I would certainly say that arriving midway through of a active game counts as the line uh then yeah you're you're probably going to see it in your future yeah and you know the houston rockets have been nothing short of a train wreck this season they're not a good basketball team they haven't been a good basketball team since they added russell westbrook to their roster rather than chris paul that was one of the dumbest decisions i've ever seen made by an nba gm but i mean i mean the trade deadline is rapidly approaching and Kevin Porter Jr. in particular has had behavioral issues in the past that's why he got kicked out of Cleveland so I have to wonder are the Rockets going to be looking to move these guys because they're a tanking team let's be real and what's going to increase their odds of landing one of those top three spots in the lottery to pick up one of Bancaro, Holmgren, or Jabari Smith it's going to be losing these games and I have a hard time thinking that trading KPJ, Christian Wood, and Eric Gordon in particular is going isn't going to be the best move. Yeah, and you and you mentioned if they're their bottom feeders, even when they have like a, a pretty decent roster, like you were saying, uh, this is I mean it's certainly not helping their chances uh, to move up in the standings. But I mean if 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 they're kind of going full tank mode right now and then trying to get one of those good lottery picks. 
uh, this is probably the best route to take. Yeah, just a little bit. Well, interestingly enough, that wasn't the only player to storm out of an arena over this past weekend. Because it happened in the NFL, too. And oh my. who better to do it than one of the biggest troublemakers the league has ever seen in Antonio Brown. And this fiasco has seemingly evolved from the moment it started because out of conflict with Bruce Arians and Antonio Brown. Now, AB has made the claim that he was on an injured ankle and couldn't play, and Bruce Arians forced him to play, and then he walked out of the arena in protest. Bruce Arians has made the claim that Antonio Brown was complaining about his touches, and Bruce Arians was like, be gone, get out of here. And another thing Antonio Brown has done is take a shot at Tom Brady saying, He's the GM, he's a system quarterback, he's the most talented receivers, which I find interesting considering Tom Brady resurrected his career not once but twice. Yeah, that's that was kind of the main thing that I was thinking as AB stripped off his shoulder pads and his jersey and marched out of MetLife Stadium. Um, how, how does this look for Tom Brady, who stuck his neck out for AB multiple times? He had... AB sleeping in his house in Braintree, Mass for for weeks when for that short stint that he was on the Patriots. I, he's he, Brady sacrificed a lot for for AB and rightfully and I think rightfully so because he's a phenomenal receiver. Um, but these behavioral issues have always been kind of part of his resume, and no one really knew if he was uh, if he had gotten his act together or or what had happened. Um, and then this happened, where which was just kind of the the, the pinnacle or the climax rather of, of all these incidents sort of culminating into this crescendo. Uh, no one saw it coming. I mean, truly last weekend was, I mean, even before the four o'clock game started or during the four o'clock games, that was probably the strangest seven hours of football you'll ever see in your life. It was a wild, wild week, uh, week 16, but he, he marches out of there and there's all these, allegations going around you know uh was he just fed up is he just having uh is he just throwing a fit and then there was the rumor going around that he needed like eight more receptions to get a three hundred thousand dollar bonus on his on his uh contract and arians wasn't putting him in on purpose because he didn't want him to get those receptions and that was a rumor floating around that was something that my brother told me actually um and then the whole thing about the the ankle and the text messages that AB sent out, um, but really the the biggest evolution that I saw in this is everyone the knee jerk reaction was what the heck is AB doing Oh my God he's he's lost it he's 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 going crazy but then it, it very quickly and I think very maturely shifted to this is clearly somebody that um, is dealing with with something on the lines or on the rails of a mental health issue and uh hopefully he can get the help he needs so i thought that was the that reaction or that part of it was the appropriate response to what we've been seeing for not just on sunday but for years out of him yeah i don't want to jump to conclusions but it certainly seemed as though what antonio brown is dealing with is cte related i mean people are talking about a hit from Vontez perfect one of the biggest goons we've ever seen in the nfl from about six years ago, and about how he's never been the same since then. I'd buy that because Vontez Burfecht wasn't exactly a soft hitter. But no. the thing that 
sort of riles me up about this is that, and I experienced this, we experienced this with the pads a little over two years ago. When you bring in Antonio Brown, it opens all kinds of Pandora's boxes, right? It could lead you to great success, which granted it did with Tampa Bay, or great failure, which it did with New England. He was gone within the week. And that's that's the risk you take. No one is denying AB's talent on the field. He is undisputedly one of the best receivers of this generation. No questions asked, but I have a hard time thinking his career in the NFL is not over. It's yeah. It's pretty I think it's done. I mean, and something I've been seeing on Twitter a lot is is he going to fight one of the Paul brothers over the next 6ish months and I mean at this point I wouldn't be surprised at all. Is that on the uh the 2022 bingo sheet? <laughs> AB versus Jake Paul <laughs> boxing match or whatever he's doing now. I mean two of the biggest divas in all of sports going at it. I mean who it would knows? sell. It would it, w- sell. it would sell because both have the ego. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. He can make back a he can make back a bit of money. He can make back the he'd get his bonuses and then some that he's that he's missing out on. Yeah, but I, I mean exactly. But you mentioned you mentioned CTE, and I saw a tweet immediately after this happened, um, and I wish I could give credit, but I don't have it in front of me, and I and I forget exactly who sent it, but it was. Uh, it was something along the lines of uh, like the day they cat scan Antonio Brown is going to be the day the NFL shuts down because they're just going to see or they could see just like a slew of damage to that guy's head. And yeah. ultimately that's kind of the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, especially now because um, starting with the youth level, so many parents are taking their kids out of football and um and these health effects of concussions and CT are getting more and more understood. Uh, it could really do some damage, uh, not only to the NFL's brand, but to uh, just to the longevity of American football as a whole. Yeah, and with that, we move on to another star player causing controversy in Aaron Rodgers, who I believe it was last night said that he would threaten to boycott the Super Bowl over the National Football League's COVID-19 protocols. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, uh, I'll start with this one. First of all, who says you're going to the Super Bowl? You've got you've to win two playoff games to get there, something you have proven incapable of doing over the past two years, might I add. And then, I mean, Aaron Rodgers tested positive for COVID-19 this season due to his unvaccinated status. Once his 90-day grace period of not having to get tested expires two days after the NFC Championship game, it's almost like he's saying, I'm unvaccinated, I have a greater risk of catching it, don't test me. Yeah, you gotta think, um, I mean, it's kind of circling back to, to Djokovic, I mean, is he kind of, is he sort of holding, uh, holding the NFL uh, hostage in this situation. Cause like you said, it, it's, it's not, it's obviously not a guarantee that he's going to make the super bowl. He's got to win two games, but the NFC does have to go through Lambeau field in both those games. If they keep advancing, which is not an easy thing for uh, the NFC to do, especially if you're playing uh, say a warmer climate team, like uh, Arizona or somebody like that. Um, he's, he's got it. He's got a good claim to make that he could make it back to the super bowl. And he's been playing very well all season. Uh, the NFL 
is going to be in a very, very tricky spot if come conference championship weekend, the teams are set. You're just waiting on those two weeks until kickoff in L.A. Uh, if the star quarterback and a likely MVP bid uh, test positive for COVID-19, the NFL is going to do a lot of thinking on how do they tackle this? How do they how do they move on? And how do they either comply with California's COVID laws? Because I know they're not lenient at all. How do they tackle that? And how do they try to make the best product? Because I don't think anybody wants to see the AFC Championship go up against Green Bay's backup quarterback. Yeah. So the thing that, I mean, the CDC recently shortened the quarantine guidelines from 10 days to five days. I mean, Last time we were on the air, I was all but certain Carson Wentz would not play this past Sunday after his positive test and unvaccinated status, but he was cleared to come back because of the new five-day quarantine. And, I mean, if I was... And yeah, Rodgers is one of the league's most marketable stars. He's been the center of all kinds of chaos with him wanting out of Green Bay and the I've been immunized quote. But there's no doubt that if Green Bay does make the Super Bowl and Rodgers doesn't play, his presence will be sourly missed. But in the event that Rodgers does miss the game due to a positive test, I mean, I won't feel super terrible if I'm being brutal. Yeah, it definitely will hurt his reputation because you figure in all the years that he's been in Green Bay and all the great teams that he's played with, he's won – exactly the same number of NFC championships and uh, Super Bowls as Tom Brady did in the NFC. And Tom Brady's been playing in the NFC for two seasons. Uh, so I think, and you, it was kind of a thing with Drew Brees. Drew Brees is a Hall of Fame quarterback, don't get me wrong. Uh, but he could, only bring, he could only bring the Super Bowl back to the Bayou once. And I think if Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't need to do anything else to prove that he's a Hall of Fame quarterback at all he's already there in my opinion but if he really wants to solidify his position as one of the best quarterbacks not just of this generation because i think that's putting it lightly just how good aaron Rodgers is but period i think he's got to rack up another super bowl and if it and if he (coughs) excuse me geez and if he can't get a super bowl because he's not vaccinated that's gonna look terribly yeah all right well we move on to another quarterback causing conflict Baker Mayfield, rumors swirling that he and Kevin Stefanski weren't getting along and he may request for a trade if the play calling doesn't sort of switch up. Baker Mayfield went on Twitter to call these rumors BS. But one thing I'll say first is that I'm uncertain the play calling is the problem. Yeah, I I would have to agree with that take. Uh, again, I saw another tweet that said, you know, uh, Joe Burrow in Cincinnati is what everyone thought Baker Mayfield was going to be in Cleveland. And it just not, like has not shaped up to be that at all. Has he shown flashes of being a great quarterback of, a, of the Heisman winning quarterback that he was? Yes. But I don't think he's been consistent enough at all to warrant the fact that, or to, to warrant the right to say that the play calling is the issue here. Yeah. And, you know, expectations were sky high for Cleveland after they, came very, very close to unseating Kansas City in the divisional round last year. 
and you know their offense just couldn't execute on the potential winning drive. And with Mahomes out, that was a bit of a blown opportunity. So Baker Mayfield has been playing through an injured shoulder this year, we think. At the same time, the Odell Beckham Jr. situation, I mean, it it's not a good look for Cleveland, for Baker, for anybody. And, you know, you make an interesting point with that Burrow tweet. Joe Burrow is a, an under-the-radar MVP candidate, if we're being brutally honest. Baker Mayfield has come nowhere close to being that. So, I'm going to be honest, I don't think... His days are numbered in Cleveland if he doesn't get it together soon, or else he's going to become the next Jared Goff and get traded. Yeah, and that's, I mean, if you're a Cleveland fan, and I know there's, you know, uh, there's a lot that we know, at least at, uh, at Syracuse, it's just the whole vicious cycle repeats where I, it, 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 it seemed like literally for five years they had the first overall pick or a top five pick, and every single year it was some new messiah quarterback that they were going to bring in and, and hope to resurrect the the franchise and get him back to the playoffs um and baker was kind of the only was the only person or the only quarterback uh in that stretch that they could really stick and, and make a case for but now you look at this season 17 touchdowns uh 13 interceptions which are both bottom 20 in the league and an average qbr of 35.3 that's terrible that's terrible. That's the 26th best in the NFL. And I can't imagine uh, how much worse it gets from there with the other teams or the other quarterbacks, but Cleveland definitely does not want to go back down this road. And I think they got to start investing more in the offensive line and receiving core because if Baker Mayfield doesn't work, it's going to be a long road to recovery. Yeah. Speaking of Cleveland, they were in Pittsburgh on Monday night football for Ben Roethlisberger's final home game in Pittsburgh in all likelihood the Steelers won the game 26-14, but let's be real. The story of that game was not Big Ben. It was Najee Harris carrying my fantasy team to a championship at the last second, which was fantastic. But, Will, let's focus on Big Ben for a minute. Brought two Lombardies to Pittsburgh. Never had a losing season, which is remarkable. How are you going to remember Big Ben's legacy? Uh, well, you know, as much as I, I, as much as I hate to say it, as a Patriots fan who we were all, we were seeing a lot of big Ben uh, in the, uh, in the AFC come, uh, come January and February. Um, and I mean, you, you basically laid it out there never had a losing season uh, two Lombardi trophies to the steel city coming out of, uh, and, and not coming out of a football hotbed. I mean, Miami, Ohio is not what you think of when you think of producing uh phenomenal football players or or hall of fame level quarterbacks so he's kind of blazed his own path and stuck and stuck close to home and and not just not just walked ran with this franchise and stuck with them the whole time and i think his legacy is i think he left it all out on the table i think his legacy is there for for everybody to see yeah that's not even the first miami you think of when you hear miami in football schools for being brutal but you got to I mean, put the OH at the end of it. Miami, Ohio. Yeah. I I wonder if Big Ben played it out for too long. Because a lot of Yinzers were calling for his retirement years ago. But, I mean, just to see that Pittsburgh crowd react to him as he walked around the field for the final time. I mean, it makes me sad that we didn't get that with Brady, right? I mean, because that's not something you see very often. 
And, you know, we didn't get that with Brady because we there was so much uncertainty surrounding what he would do after the 19th season. Would he stay? Would he go? Would he retire? And that's why I feel like we didn't get that moment. There's no doubt in my mind that Big Ben is retiring following this season. There's no doubt. And then Pittsburgh, we'll get into this later. They still have a oh-so-slim chance to get to the playoffs, but I'm happy he was able to go out on a win, particularly against Cleveland, who I feel has become all the more dislikable this year. Yeah, it, it is good to see that he could <clears throat> grant uh, – you, uh, you know, Pittsburgh never had a losing season, but this hasn't been their best season uh, of record. But it is good – that Baker could get to Heinz Field, or excuse me, Baker, excuse me, uh, that Big Ben could get to Heinz Field uh, and get that final win. And, um, and yeah, you said it. It is rare that we, or that fans rather, get to say goodbye to a player that they've been watching for their whole lives. And that's kind of what Pittsburgh was able to do with Big Ben. Uh, Boston sort of got to do it with David Ortiz when he announced his retirement. I mean, that was a whole farewell season. Uh, that last playoff game where they lost, uh, I think it was to Cleveland. Yep, it was to Cleveland. Uh, that was at Fenway Park. I mean, that was teary-eyed. That was, uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the crowd. Uh, so you you do like to see that when when a, when a player can say goodbye and uh, and just kind of allow the fans to, to show their appreciation. Uh, Brady was not able to, or Brady didn't give us that in New England. And um, I wouldn't doubt it would be too long before they have a, uh, a Big Ben statue somewhere in Pittsburgh. Yeah. All right, we'll move on to another AFC North team, the Baltimore Ravens, who I'm actually going to defend a little bit because I think it is much harder to lose three games in a five-game losing streak by one point than it is to win any of those games. I mean, four they've lost five in a row, right? They're, the combined margin of those games is minus 25. 20 of them were in one game. So they have four losses by a combined five points. That is really, really hard to do. And I'm going to give kudos to Baltimore for that. So, but I think the overarching thing here, Will, is the Ravens have been one of the most decimated teams in the NFL all season. And now it's finally taking its toll. Yeah, I think it's it, it's this late season. And it could be the extended season that we're seeing. But, you know, an injury... Injuries pile up, and there's you, there's no replacing for your first team. And I think uh, when you look at the streak of these past five weeks, it's it's kind of evident of that. I mean, you got a twenty to nineteen loss to Pittsburgh, a twenty four to twenty two loss to Cleveland, a thirty one to thirty loss to Green Bay. Then they just got blown out of the water by Cincinnati. That was the game where uh, where Joe Burrow did not apologize to on uh, on the fact that he kept throwing the ball. That was 41-21, and then a 20-19 loss to L.A., the Rams, uh, last week. So, injuries pile up. You, you lose some steam here, and before you know it, you're on a five-game losing streak with one game to play in the regular season, and there is no wind left in your sails. So, Baltimore, really kind of front runners to make a, a very solid run in the AFC side of the playoffs, is now just kind of dead in the water. I'm not going to trash them too much because of all the injuries they've dealt with. I mean, concerns have arisen about Lamar Jackson's sustainability. I mean, can he stay healthy over a 17-game season now repeatedly? And again, I said I'm not going to trash them too much. I think they're in a great position to do great things next year, not this year. But, I mean, it's 
it's it's tough. It really is. I mean, football's a brutal game. So down the line, I think Baltimore has to find a way to keep Lamar Jackson the healthiest, the longest. And what are they going to do with Tyler Huntley? Because I'll be honest, I'm, I've been impressed with his performance over the past two weeks. Yeah, he, he has played pretty strong. I mean, he's, he's not putting up earth-shattering numbers, but he's, he's the Ravens week in and week out in a position to win. Um, I'm just going to look at uh, last week examples against the Rams. 12-4 uh, and four Rams team, very solid uh, against, a, against the then, or excuse me, going into that game, they would have been 11-4, and four, and the Ravens would have been 8-7. Uh, and and seven. Seven. Uh, Tyler Huntley, uh, 20 completions on 32 attempts for 197 yards and a pick. Not blowing up the score sheet, but again, you, you make most of those completions, you give your team a chance. The one pick every quarterback's going to throw interceptions. Yeah. Now, that, the, the lack of a touchdown pass could be a lot of factors. Were the, did the receivers have butterfingers? Was he not getting enough time on the offensive line? And Baltimore they, doesn't have good receivers. I'll throw that in as well. Oh, well, yeah. I, they, they're not, they haven't been showing up recently. Let's even look. I'm going to scroll down here uh, for the receiving. Uh, yeah, six receptions for 89 by Mark Andrews, Rashad Bateman, seven receptions for 58. And that is basically it on the Baltimore side. So receiving core, not doing it. Uh, can't is Tyler Huntley a, a good, a good uh, kind of contingency plan. If Lamar goes down again, maybe, maybe not the receiving core just needs to pick up. But my dad and I were talking about this not too long ago. Um, mostly about Josh Allen, but it also applies to Lamar Jackson. Um, this is the reason why Tom Brady's been able to stay in the league so long is because he just refused to get out of the pocket. You know, when he got hit, he got hit, but he wasn't, he wasn't really looking to, to leg out any plays and what the style of play that Lamar Jackson and uh, by extension, Josh Allen play is a very physical game. And it's, it's kind of, it, it hasn't really been proven yet if it's a long-term solution uh, or a long-term style of play for a quarterback. You know, we've seen Tom Brady. He's been he's been a starter for 20 years. I don't think anybody's ever going to do that again. Um, and thankfully, I'm a Pats. I, I'm uh, no secret that I'm a Patriots fan, but I love Josh Allen. He is so much fun to watch. Um, and unless it comes at the expense of the Patriots, I would love to see Buffalo gain some success with that team because they're, they're so much fun to watch. And I love how resolute uh bills fans are um so you just hope that josh allen through his style of play can stay healthy resolute uh, is a, a very good word to the sky bills mafia and then i'll say this baltimore has an oh so slim shot to get into the playoffs i think that they, they need to win they need jacksonville to beat indianapolis they need us to beat miami and then they need the Chargers and Raiders to not end in a tie. So a lot needs to yeah, happen. I mean, Jacksonville has to beat Indianapolis. Yeah, I said. Did I say? Did I not say that? No, 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 no. You did. You did. Uh, that, you said that, they have a very slim chance, and then you put Jacksonville has to beat Indianapolis. So snowball's chance in hell. Uh, I mean, Indianapolis hasn't won in Jacksonville in seven years. It could happen. Could happen. Yeah. But, Anything can happen in Duval County. But before I know it wasn't originally scripted, but before we move into our next topic, I want to talk about. The Jaguars fans dressing up in clown outfits to troll oh my God. Shad Khan. I mean, it's it's long overdue, in my opinion. Yeah, 
I, I was saying this last week uh, during the Pats game when it was 15-10. Uh, yeah, yeah, fifty to ten final score. I was so mad. I was so mad because fifty to three would have been scoregami. Uh, I'm a big scoregami guy. I love that. Uh, shout out John Boys. Um, but I was saying it's only a matter of time. I think by the end of the decade, you're going to see uh, the London Jaguars. I think they're going to be out of Jacksonville by the end of the decade. I wouldn't surprise me, but London though. I mean, I have questions about that being sustainable. I well, you figure. I don't know where in North America it would go unless the NFL actually wanted to expand like into Mexico or into Canada, but Canada's got the CFL. I feel like everybody's already a fan of some NFL team already. They're the third team in Florida. When, when, when somebody asks you to name the 32 NFL franchises, you name 31 and you get stuck on Jacksonville because you are, there's, there's already two teams in Florida that have very, very popular fan bases or very, very uh, strong fan bases. Now you figure, Khan, the owner of Jacksonville, he's already the owner of the Fulham Football Club in London. Um, and Tottenham Hotspur, which is right up the street in North London, has gifted him or gifted the NFL a billion-dollar stadium, a gorgeous billion-dollar stadium that has a turf NFL, NFL field right underneath the grass pitch ready to use. Why wouldn't Jacksonville get out of the situation that they're in in Florida where they're sandwiched between – Buccaneers and Dolphins and uh, from the North Falcons fans and go overseas and become the European NFL team, not just the English or the British NFL team, but the, Eng but the European NFL team. One thing I will say is that in terms of North American cities, they could go to a few that ring to mind are Austin, Texas. If they want to stay in state, they could find a place in Orlando. I mean, they've got sustainability with the magic but, I mean, this is all so, so hypothetical, is my only oh, yeah, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Uh, that's... And, and it, it, like, it's, it's so slim. It's so slim that they would ever even consider moving to London. But it's there for the taking. And I, and I think it's, some, it's certainly something they're going to measure. Uh, one suggestion that I saw, which um, to me makes a lot of sense, is uh, put another team in the South like Mobile, Alabama, or, or, or Birmingham, Alabama. I mean, basically right now, the only team down there is the Falcons, and they have not been doing too well. So I think it's I think down there is kind of just a hodgepodge of different fans. I mean, obviously, you'll probably have uh, some Saints, some Cowboys, and some Falcons fans, probably a few Buccaneers fans towards the, uh, the panhandle of Florida. But uh, why not give, uh, like, Alabama or, or Mississippi or – one of those states, their own NFL franchise. If Jacksonville was really looking to get out of there, or OKC, even that'd be cool. That'd be really cool. Or, or yeah, Austin. Or, you or, brought or, up Austin. That's the biggest. Dare I say it? North American city without a uh, without a pro sports team. Yeah. Dare I say it? Could they go back? Could they bring the NFL back to St. Louis, Missouri? That is something that would be a. I'd love to see it because I think I think St. Louis. Um, St. Louis and San Diego, I think when you look at the two biggest, uh, they, they, they got screwed. Those two cities got screwed uh, when the Rams and the Chargers did their whole thing. So I'd love to see another team go to St. Louis. It's a, I mean, obviously the Blues do phenomenal there. The Cardinals do phenomenal oh, there. You had to remind me about uh, the Blues, Will? Come on. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's a sore subject here. Um, but I, I would love to see another team in St. Louis. Um, 
I don't even know who they root for now. I don't even know if they stayed Rams fans. It's hard no, to they anymore. didn't. They didn't. Okay. They hate the Rams. What now. are they now? Chiefs, probably. I mean, probably. that's all Missouri. Probably. Yeah, probably the Chiefs. Yeah, why not the Chiefs? Um, yeah, I, I think St. Louis is a is a great opportunity. is a is a great place to go. All right, well, let's move on. How about the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, might I add? Chase set the rookie receiving yards record in a single game this past Sunday against Kansas City, of all teams, mind you. And Cincinnati was down two scores multiple times, but persevered to kick a buzzer-beater chip shot by Evan McPherson to win the game 34-31, and with it, the AFC North title. Well, if you had told me that Cincinnati would beat Kansas City in the regular season, I wouldn't have believed you. If you had told me they would win the AFC North, I would have thought you were crazy. I wouldn't have believed myself. Uh, I don't think anybody saw this coming, but the way Burrow and Jamar Chase have been playing, I mean, they've they've really taken the NFL by storm. They have been taking names where nobody thought names could be taken. Uh, that win against Kansas City, and also the kind of win that it was. I mean, being stuck on the goal line for what seemed like an eternity in the fourth quarter and just trying to eke out points and just milking every mistake that Kansas City made, that is as strong and as focused a team win that you will see. Um, and the way they've been playing, Joe Burrow has absolutely thrown his hat into the ring for MVP. And if you, if you ask me, I think Jamar Chase is a lock for rookie of the year. Which is painful to say, considering we're both Mac Jones stands. Yeah, I mean, that is true. I saw someone go as far to say that Jamar Chase is the best receiver in the NFL on Twitter the other day, which is definitely a little too far and a little recency bias floating into his head. But, yeah. I mean, he's still I'm an excellent receiver. That. I'd put him at least in the top 15 right now. Oh, and he's going oh, to be climbing up the ranks. And, you know, I mean, there were tons and tons of doubts with him entering the season because of the dropped balls. But he has written them off in rather emphatic fashion. Then, I mean, that's about as gutsy a win as you can pull off in the NFL. To beat the surging hot Kansas City Chiefs, at this point in the season, when you're fighting for seeding, is huge. And Kansas City now, they're out of the one seed because Tennessee was able to pull off a win this past Sunday. And the Chiefs play later today against the Broncos, and we'll get into this a little later. Tennessee has to play Houston. The one seed for Kansas City isn't going to come easy. They need a yeah. lot of help. Yeah, they, they do need a lot of help. Um Namely, starting from Houston, if Houston could somehow uh, knock off Tennessee, that would do, not just for Kansas City, that would do a lot of reshuffling in the AFC. Um, but yeah, Kansas City, uh, not not at where they thought they would be, I would say, at the start of Week 17 than what they thought. Uh, coming off just some great seasons in the past, uh, a Super Bowl win two years ago, um, I think they, I think they thought they were set to basically kind of ride into the one seat of the AFC this entire season, but just kind of some shock performances. I mean, namely Tennessee, Derrick Henry has just put the city of Nashville on his back and he has just been running through people's faces. He hasn't even been playing. Just imagine what they're going to be like when he comes back. I know. Yeah. Well, he's healthy this week, isn't he? I don't think he's playing. I think they're keeping him fresh for the playoffs. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. They've already locked the one seat. Um, no, they have to yeah, win this Kansas week. City, they, Kansas they City have, definitely not where they thought they have they would to be. win this week to lock it. 
Oh, they do. Well, yeah. I mean, they're playing. I mean, what's Houston's record? Although Houston, hey, don't sleep on Houston. They're Houston hot beat right Tennessee now. in Nashville this year. That is true. Okay, so all right, I scratched that. Houston, Houston's won two of their past three, but they got kind of blown out by the 49ers last week. All right, and let's move on to one of the more sterling games in the NFC last week. How about the Arizona Cardinals beating the Cowboys? But the story of the game was a missed fumble call, which was a difficult call to make in real time. But replay review showed that it was, in fact, a fumble after the Cardinals got a game-sealing first down. But because of the genius that is Mike McCarthy, Dallas was out of timeouts. They couldn't challenge the call. And because it wasn't originally ruled a turnover, it wasn't reviewed, so they played on. Arizona wins the game. So... How much stock can you put into this victory for Arizona, given that dark cloud over it? Yeah, I mean, it is tough. It is tough. And and and, and teams get wins every which way. And, uh, you know, the Cardinals, they, they, they walked out of uh, Arlington with a win. But it wasn't the cleanest of wins. And I think this is, this is all part of a larger story of – People wanting more stuff to be reviewable. People wanting robo-umps in the MLB. Um, Which is ridiculous, might I add. It's pretty unfair that, uh, especially at the size of the scoreboard that Arlington has, it's it's huge. It goes 20-yard line to 20-yard line. It's pretty unfair that 90,000 people in the stadium can look right above the field and see the fact that that was a fumble. And everybody know it was a fumble and know that the, the call in the field was not correct uh, and it not being reviewable. It, it, it's It's... When you think of it like that and, and you look at the implications, um, it's kind of unfair. And this is one thing if it happens in a week two matchup against uh, against two random teams. But when you've got two teams that are fighting for playoff positions, fighting for seeding, it's only a matter of time before one of these calls happens in a conference championship game or the Super Bowl, for crying out loud. The, the, day, the day that kind of call happens in the Super Bowl um, – is the day you're going to see some rule changes get written down. And, I mean, Dallas already wrapped up the NFC East. They wrapped it up a long, long time ago, and I'm fairly thrilled to see the Cowboys lose. I did not feel sorry for them in the moment. I still don't feel sorry for them if we're being brutal. Uh, uh, uh. So Dallas has already locked up the NFC East. They're just fighting to try and get a second home playoff game, which their odds were slim to begin with, and they just got even slimmer. They play Philadelphia tonight. Both teams have already wrapped up a playoff spot. I'm not even certain we'll see both teams. Ah, no, it's Dallas-Philly. They'll be playing to win. But it's just... How about them Cowboys? Is all I'll say. How about them Cowboys? All right, well... That's going to be a heck of a game, though. Yeah. Well, Dallas at Philly. Both teams... I mean, both teams already locked for the playoffs, but I mean, at this point, just fighting for bragging rights. Yes, yeah. and seeding too. Yeah, and then yeah, exactly. The Green Bay Packers did wrap up the number one seed in the NFC. We talked about Aaron Rodgers earlier, but mm-hmm. that's all said and NFC done. NFC goes through Lambeau. The NFC does go through Lambeau. So, can they actually get it done this time? That's a uh, that's a loaded question. Um, uh, I mean, from what they've done in the regular season. I mean, the fact that Aaron Rodgers uh, has basically done all this uh, with this with this offense when it was in doubt, uh, like in May, that he would even be playing in the NFL this season is pretty impressive. Um, 
whether or not everything clicks at the right time, and especially if he gets COVID at some point during the playoff runs, uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, I mean, it's such a cop-out answer that I'm giving, but um, there are just so many variables and it's impossible to see what could happen and, and who they could go up against and who gets hurt. Um, but I'll say from what they've done in the regular season on paper, there's no reason why they couldn't make the Super Bowl. There's no reason why they couldn't win the Super Bowl. Um, but it is the NFL and I believe literally anything can happen in the playoffs. They certainly can make it to the Super Bowl. The question is, will they? The past two NFC Championship games for the Green Bay Packers have been nothing short of incompetent. They got manhandled by San Francisco at Levi Stadium. Then they welcomed Tampa Bay in the, the next year, and Kevin King just absolutely wets the bed. How do you give up a Hail Mary to end the first half? How? And it wasn't exactly a close play either. The most, uh, it's, it's, that's Green Bay. And I'm not going to, I'm one of the few who actually believe that the decision to kick that field goal inside the 10-yard line wasn't abysmal. I mean, Brady had thrown three interceptions on the previous three drives. Who, why, why, why shouldn't you trust your defense, right? But, yeah, I mean, they just haven't been able to get it done in years past. And, you know, with this Vax controversy, per se, Arising with Aaron Rodgers, I mean, they certainly can, but will they? Yeah, I mean, and we've seen, that's kind of the thing, and and it's kind of what keeps this Green Bay team year in and year out with Aaron Rodgers so interesting to watch is uh, they could either get blown out of the water in spectacular fashion, um, and it would look like uh, they're playing a high school team, uh, or... Aaron Rodgers could do something crazy and he could do something that you've never seen before in your life. Um, And we know we've seen from this season that if you give, if you give Aaron Rodgers any kind of time on the clock, anything over 45 seconds, he doesn't even need a timeout. If you give him 50 seconds on the clock and no timeouts and he needs a game winning drive, he could produce that. And it's just a matter of uh, if he does, but the chance is always there. You can never turn off a green Bay playoff game. All right, so we'll go rapid fire for these next five topics. We're going to go through each of the playoff clinching scenarios. I see Will. I'm going to crack my knuckles here because this is going to be really good. They're stretching here. Yeah. They're stretching. Yeah, got to get, get those stretches on because we got five topics. Rapid fire. Here we go. AFC top seed, Kansas City or Tennessee, go. Tennessee. Yep, I mean. Do I, do I need to give an explanation? Give it brief. Give it brief. Uh, Kansas City just hasn't been playing strong. I think the loss against Cincinnati kind of shook him. And um, even if he doesn't play this week, Derrick Henry's going to be a menace. I think Kansas City will beat Denver today. But I also think Houston will beat, <clears throat> Houston will not beat Tennessee tomorrow. By that logic, Tennessee gets the one seed. There you go. All right, AFC East, Buffalo or New England? Mm. Um, I'm going to have to say Buffalo uh, just because I know. Uh <laughs> Uh, both both the Pats and the Bills uh, should get wins uh, this week. Uh, they're they're neither of them are playing phenomenal teams. I think we're we're playing. Uh, we're in Miami. We're, we're in Miami. Miami. Uh, Bills are playing the Jets. 
Miami's Miami's shown uh, flashes. So honestly, the, uh, the the Patriots getting a win this weekend is not guaranteed because they're the only team in NFL history that's lost seven straight and won seven straight in the same season. That's crazy. Um, there's your trivia for the day. Yeah. Um, I think it's much more likely that the Bills walk out of this week with a win than the Pats. So I'm just gonna have to hand it to the Bills. Yeah, I think both teams will win. I mean. Miami has been New England's kryptonite for years, but they're not playing for anything, so I have a hard time thinking that they're going to throw out guys like Tua, Waddle, Howard, and go really full throttle rather than maybe possibly even tank for a better draft pick next season. They'd love to play spoiler. They would love to play spoiler. I'm sure they would, though. I'm sure they would, though. But I'm sure Lowell Jets would as well, but let's be honest. The odds of Lowell Jets going into Buffalo and winning Week 18 – are about as high as the odds I make the Patriots next year. So, with that in mind, Buffalo's winning the AFC. You East. never know, Liam. You yeah. never know. Yeah. My DMs are. Gets a little, Ross my, gets a little thin. You never know. My DMs are open, Patriots. All right. Check. There are two AFC wildcard spots up for grabs. The Colts, Raiders, Chargers, Steelers, and Ravens are in, are vying for the two. Who gets the two? Um. Jeez. Definitely the Colts are one of them uh for no other reason than i i think i've seen more of their games this season um and they've just looked like a competent team they they, they've looked like they've been able to to pull out uh some great wins some great performances um and oh my god i'm blanking on that running back who taylor jonathan taylor yeah jonathan taylor thank you uh he's just been a force this year and i think he is the kind of he's the kind of player that like literally can will a team to to get wins um what are the other three teams i totally forgot so the raiders play the chargers and if the colts win pittsburgh and baltimore become irrelevant it'd just be the winner of that game on sunday night oh oh geez um well i think the colts are gonna win so i guess the raiders uh right that would just mathematical elimination all right so, I think the Colts will beat Jacksonville handily Sunday. So, that takes Pittsburgh and Baltimore out of the equation. And then, for Sunday Night Football, all the marbles, the Chargers will be in Vegas to play the Raiders. And both these teams have been inconsistent. And the legend of the almighty coin in Vegas had them going 10-7 and seven this season. It's been wrong once, so it needs to be wrong again if Vegas is going to get in. The coin will be wrong once again. They, it will get its final record right. The Raiders will go 10-7 and seven and sneak into the playoffs as the seventh seed and then inevitably get murdered by Kansas City next week. You hate to see it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. NFC West, if the Rams win, they get it. If the Cardinals win and the Rams lose, it belongs to Arizona. Who gets it? Rams or the Cardinals. I would... Keep in mind, the Cardinals, the Rams host the Niners, and the Cardinals host the Seahawks. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I was going to say the Rams. That kind of solidifies my decision to say the Rams. Just because I think the Cardinals really uh, – I mean, they they started hot. They, they were the last undefeated team in the NFL. They were borderline unbeatable for the better part of two and a half months. Um, I just think the Rams consistently have had – uh, better quality wins have maintained form while the Cardinals have kind of lagged at certain points. And although they just got out of Arlington with a good win, like we were talking about 10 minutes ago, it was kind of a controversy s- strong win. And if the right call got made on that play, we don't know if 
Arizona would have beat Dallas. So I'm going to say the Rams just because they've been playing uh, more consistently uh, in the second half of the year. I disagree because when you look at who they're matching up with, and this sort of teases our next topic, final wildcard spot, San Francisco, New Orleans. If San Francisco wins, they're in. If San Francisco loses, New Orleans wins, the Saints get the final spot. I think the Niners are going to beat the Rams Sunday for the final wildcard spot. Spot Because you know what Jimmy Garoppolo's record is against the Rams in his career? 5-0. and 5-0? He owns Sean McVay's squad. And I think that's going to continue this weekend. I think the Niners win, get that final wildcard spot as well. And then I think Arizona beats Seattle. So mark my words, the Arizona Cardinals are going to win the NFC West this weekend. But All right. I wouldn't be surprised if the Rams do win, though. I'll write you down for it. Well, I mean, if if the Jimmy G is five and zero, oh, I have I have faith. I've, I've I've never lost faith in Jimmy G. I still love that guy. No. Oh so. yeah, me too. But he may not play. Maybe Trey Lance. That doesn't change my answer. Oh yeah. And then, do you think do you think the Niners get in over the Saints? The Saints are in Atlanta, by the way. The Saints are in Atlanta. Uh... I'd probably say, ah, oh, geez. Well, the Niners. Well, the Niners are nine and seven going into this weekend. The Saints are eight and eight. Um, the Falcons aren't a bad team. They're not a good team either. The, the thing is, is that it's a rivalry game, and Atlanta would love to play spoiler for New Orleans. And I've got Atlanta winning. I've got Atlanta winning this game. You know what? I'm gonna have to. Agree. I'm gonna have to agree with you. I don't think the Saints have played. Uh, I don't think the Saints have played strong enough all season. They've been strong with injuries the entire year. Um, and I just think uh, the, 49, the 49ers have just been playing better. I think they get a win in L.A. And I think Atlanta moves to uh, moves to 8-9 and nine on the season. I, 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 keep, I keep forgetting we're playing 17 weeks of football, yeah, so i got to like recheck. I got to recheck the records. <laughs> all right, and with that, we move into the history lesson, boys and girls where we honor great achievements of the past in the coming week. Ten years ago today, January 8th, one of the best and most famous playoff games in recent memory took place in Denver. The Broncos played the heavily favored Steelers to a 23-23 tie, forcing OT. Denver won the toss and got the ball. On the first play from scrimmage, Tim Tebow threw an 80-yard touchdown pass to the late Demarius Thomas, giving the Broncos the victory, shocking the football world. I remember that game. Yeah, me too. I was watching that game in a I was like at hockey practice and I was watching that game at the like in my in my goalie pads. I was watching that game in like the lobby TV and my whole yep. team was going crazy because we knew that the cuz they were slated to play the Pats next, weren't yep. they? Yep, yep, they got the Pats yeah. and they just got massacred. Yeah, that's what we because we because nobody wanted to play Pittsburgh. Yeah. So we were psyched that we we got to play uh, we got to play Denver then. Yeah. <sighs> that was a good game. That was a. Fan. That was back when peak Tebow. Peak. Oh Tebow. yeah. Oh yeah. Twenty four years ago, Monday, January tenth, hockey legend Mark Messier became the sixth player in NHL history to record one thousand assists. Messier's NHL career spanned two 25 fantastic seasons, nearly 1,900 points, a plus 211 rating, five all-star appearances, two Hart trophies, and six, six Stanley Cups. Yeah, that, I, feel uh, like, 
I feel like Mark. That's Me- pretty good. Yeah, I feel like Mark Messier was a tad overshadowed by Wayne Gretzky while they were in Edmonton together. However, once Gretzky took off, Messier really got the opportunity to shine. Won two Stanley yeah. Cups on his own. One in Edmonton. One in the Big Apple. Really good player. Fifty-three years ago, Wednesday, January twelfth. We're going to win on Sunday. I guarantee you. The Baltimore Colts were heavy favorites to take down Joe Namath and the New York Jets in Super Bowl III, but Broadway Joe had other ideas. He led New York to a 16-7 victory, and his famous guarantee went down in history. It was the big start of the, uh, that was when the, because the NFC had been, uh, the, or the NFL had been dominating. The NFL the had AFL. been dominating the AFL. That's when the idea of a merger started to come together. Yeah, the NFL owners were like, we can't keep losing with these guys like that. <laughs> So, and hey, AFL's done pretty well for itself, I'd say. I'd say so. I'd say so. All right, here's one for you. Two years ago, Friday, January 14th, more fallout from the Astros sign-stealing scandal as Red Sox manager Alex Cora was fired. I remember that. Cora, manager A.J. Hinch, GM Jeff uh, Ludow, excuse me, Lunau, and manager-to-be in Queens, Carlos Beltran, were all fired as a result of the infamous scandal. But what's happened since is interesting. Hinch was picked up by Detroit. Cora's behind the bench again for Boston. Beltran has been the managerial candidate for the past few years. But Lunau appears to be gone for good. Yeah, and first of all, I'm tired of Alex Cora getting scapegoated into the Astros thing. I mean, I think people are sort of exaggerating his role there. That may be hometown bias in me, but I don't know. But, I mean, the issue is that Hinch is back on the job. Beltron's about to be back on the job, particularly Beltron, because he was the one actually going out and doing it on the field. But Yeah, he, it's going to be hard for him to get another role. You know who wasn't in the dugout at all during the scandal? Jeff Lunau, the GM. So, I find it interesting that he's been completely banished from baseball, essentially, when he... I want to say it had nothing to do with it. I, I think this whole thing, um, <clears throat> I think it, it, it was such a scandal and such a, like an atrocious uh, perversion of, of, of baseball and kind of like the respect that it demands. I think that like, if you were at all involved with the Astros during all this, like it was, you could have been a part-time owner on the other side of the country, if you were at all involved with the Astros, it just looked terrible for yeah. you. So especially if you're in the front office, it's gonna, it's probably gonna set your career back a couple years, if not more, if not yeah. gone entirely. All right, we move into our college football playoff semifinal recap before we get into talking about Monday's game. Bama Cincinnati. I'm gonna give credit to the Bearcats. They put up a good fight, a much better fight than Michigan put up against Georgia. More on that momentarily. But Alabama proved too strong. They won 27-6, but this is good for a group of five teams, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, whether or not uh, Cincinnati would have won, the second that those final rankings came out and Cincinnati was at the number four spot, it was kind of um, – <clears throat> I don't want st- to uh, – yeah, I'll say it. It was a sigh of relief for group five teams. Because it finally proved that if they did everything right and they built up a solid program and they had years and years of a good resume to go off of and then they executed, uh, they get rewarded. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, Cincinnati played Alabama, who I think since 2008, at some point or another, has held the number one seating. They're, they're a dynasty. It's, it's, 
it's going to take a really bad day in Tuscaloosa to beat Alabama in a playoff game. Um, but I think it just proves the, uh, for the rest of these group of five teams, and there's really strong programs out there, uh, the opportunity is there for the taking. So if they execute correctly, they do everything right, they build up a strong recruiting class, group of five team gets out, uh, gets in the playoffs, and I think it's only a matter of time before eventually uh, David's going to take down Goliath. All right, let's take a look at some of the past college football playoff semifinal results, particularly the one versus four matchup. 37 to 17, Clemson over Oklahoma. 38 to nothing, Alabama over Michigan State. 24 to 7, Alabama over Washington. 24 to 6, Alabama over Clemson. 63 to 28, LSU over Oklahoma. 31 to 14, Alabama over Notre Dame. What is the overarching message of this? The overarching message is that Cincinnati is not alone. Several college football playoff teams, and with that, four seeds have gone into the playoff and gotten their butts kicked. They just have. So they're not alone in that regard. So if anyone, anyone has the audacity to say Cincinnati did not belong after getting spanked, please indulge me with this past history. Also, what happened in the other playoff game? Because Michigan, ho ho, Michigan, I turned this game off at halftime because it was so asinine. I I could not believe what I was watching. I, I literally thought, like, I thought somebody was injured on Michigan. Like, I thought they were missing key players. And, and all the chatter that this um, that this Michigan team got, you know, it was the first, you know, they won the Big Ten. It was the first year they beat Ohio State in so long. Um, and this O-line was getting so much cred. And then this O-line was just getting decimated by the Georgia defensive front. And it, it was just two different teams. And I think this is kind of really uh, what makes college football so messy and, and, and kind of so predictable these days is that there's like, there's group of five here. Uh, and that's not to say that there aren't good teams, but for the most part, there's group of five. And then there's power five. And then like way the hell up here, there's Alabama and Georgia. It's, it's, it's two, it's two different sports, really. Um, when, when you have the recruiting and when you have the alumni and when you have the funding that these huge SEC schools get, um, it's tough for anybody, even other like good football programs, like, uh, like Michigan state, they got shut out in a playoff game against Alabama. That's unbelievable even when you have good programs like that from other power five conferences, it's going to be tough to compete. And I think that's kind of what we saw with Michigan and Georgia. I want to talk about, I want to talk about Michigan, Georgia a little bit before we talk about the game Monday, Michigan made Stetson Bennett, who I despise Stetson Bennett, a mediocre quarterback look like a first round talent. They did. I mean, JT Daniels is the better quarterback at Georgia, but he hasn't been able to play because of his injury. But Georgia was up 27-3 at halftime, and this isn't an offensive-minded football team. It's a defensive-minded football team. So, this in mind, I mean, if Stetson Bennett can continue this otherworldly play against Alabama, look out. The dogs are coming. I, I mean, the fact that he went 21, 21 for 31 with well over 300 yards and uh, three touchdowns, um, that's a good stat line, no matter who you are. And I think the a big reason was that was that just the the Georgia defense was keeping the ball out of Michigan hands for so long. Um, 
But I mean, this game was over before it started. I mean, Georgia put up 14 in the first quarter. I was honestly shocked that that Michigan put up a point before halftime. I thought they were, I thought they were going to be blanked going into halftime. Um, and I have friends that go to both schools right now, and I was texting both of them throughout the game. And I just like after halftime, I, I just kind of wanted to keep radio silence on the one for Michigan because I just felt so bad. Yeah, one of, I got a, one of my best buds from high school goes to UGA, and we were texting before the game. I mean, like. We, we were both expecting a low-scoring battle. We weren't expecting Stetson Bennett to do this, to do that. But Yeah. Well, all right, let's Just wrap. have the game of his life down in, in Miami. All right, let's make it all set in stone to finish here. In the all SEC right. championship game, Alabama beat Georgia 41-24. to The Tide were playing with probably more urgency than Georgia was because they had to win to get into the playoff. Georgia was set in stone at that point. So, who wins tomorrow? Excuse me, Monday. Uh, Alabama. Mm. I I disagree. I I think it's really hard to beat a team twice in a year. Just ask the New England Patriots. They couldn't beat Buffalo twice this season. It's true. It's true. So, and I have a hard time thinking that Kirby Smart really used every single scheme possible he could have against the Tide because he knew deep down that the likelihood of them getting together again and at this point of the season in Indianapolis was pretty high, right? So I have a feeling that he yeah. knew this was almost inevitable. So what does he do? He shows them some, but not all. I think Georgia is going to come out with an entirely different game plan. They know what they're going up against now. They've got the familiarity factor. And give me the dogs, man. Hot take or not. Yeah, it's it's uh no, it's definitely a good point that uh Michigan or excuse me, that Georgia to some degree was was pulling their punches or or kind of masking their efforts. Um that wasn't even something I'd thought about. That's a very good point. Um because you're right, because uh Alabama had a win. Not that I think that Georgia keeled over and, and gave Alabama that win by any stretch. Um but there they there is a strong possibility that they were sandbagging to some degree. Um, but I don't know. Alabama has just so consistently dominated this level of the game. And I saw yesterday that Alabama since like, I think it was like 2009, Alabama's, or I don't know, Alabama the past couple of years has averaged it as averaged 12 and a half wins a season, which is unbelievable because you're guaranteed 12 wins to start the year. Uh, so, so the college football playoff, everything leading up to the college football playoffs for Alabama is preseason in my mind. Right. And when they get to this step, I wouldn't be shocked if Alabama was, was pulling some punches. I bet you Alabama's got something, some ace up their sleeve that they're hiding from the Bulldogs and that they're ready to pull out in Indianapolis. So uh. I, what I'm, what I'm praying for is any kind of competitive game. Oh yeah, me too. I don't want to, I don't care who wins. I, I just want to watch. Good I don't want to sit on my couch Monday night and have it be over by halftime. Yeah, I want a palate cleanse after the, the two semifinal games. I want to actually be intrigued in what happens after the music video drop at halftime. Oh, my God. Any, anything to save us from the, uh, the two semifinal games. Yeah. All right. Well, that will do it. Will, it's been a pleasure having you, Juan. Let's do it again sometime. Let's run it, let's run it back sometime. Absolutely. The pleasure was all mine, Liam. Thank you. Absolutely. For Will Henschel, I'm Liam Griffin. Follow us on Instagram at Full Court Press Podcast and on Twitter at Full CP Podcast. That's F U L L C P Podcast. And if you want to be in Henschel's seat, 
You know what to do. Get in contact with me. We'll make it happen. Next week, we'll have a big, bloated NFL playoff preview. We may have a special guest depending on who the Patriots play. I don't know. Who could it be? Who on here is a, who has been on the podcast that's a big Buffalo fan? Little tease for next week. We'll see you then.